Good morning, church. It's so lovely to see you. I feel like I finally understood um, Peter's words when he opens his letters and he says, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for. There's a real sense of that, um, that we miss each other and wish we could be together. Um, and please know that however your week has been, up or down, or a mixture of both, um, we're really for you and we miss you and we are, we're praying for you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am Hannah. Um, I'm an artist and writer, and yes, I did cut my own fringe. Um, if you're new as well, you're so welcome. I hope you hear something about God's heart for you this morning. Um, so we're in the middle of a preaching series um, on the book of Jeremiah, which is a book written about and by a man called Jeremiah who lived 655 years before the birth of Jesus. Um, he was a prophet, which means that the spirit of God filled him and filled his life so that he could proclaim by his words and his, and his actions what God was saying to his people. Um, now, the passage we're going to look at today is at a time in the life of God's people where everything is tumultuous, it's been turned upside down, and there's actually quite a lot of ruin and destruction and despair. Um, and God speaks into that moment. But before we get to that moment, I want to give you a wider context of that conversation with God, with Jeremiah and his people um, in the whole story of the Bible. Because the Bible isn't just different books, though it is written by lots of different people. It is one great big narrative that shows us the story of God and his people from the beginning of time till all of eternity. Um, and my hope in showing us the way that the narrative progresses um, and the way that God makes promises in the beginning that last um, all the way through the story and span history um, until they reach us. My hope is that we would see where we fit in to this story of God speaking to his people. So um, I'm just going to zoom out for a bigger picture. So for context, Jeremiah is speaking to a nation that was born in a single moment when God made a promise to a man in the desert. That man was Abraham. He was alone in the desert. He had a wife and he had no children. And this was the beginning and the birth of the nation of Israel. Um, and it happened because God came to Abraham and he made him a promise. And that promise was this. It's in Genesis 17. He said, I am, God said, I am establishing a covenant between me and you. A covenant that will include all the generations that will come after you. It commits me to be your God and the God of your descendants. The promise goes on in Genesis um, 22. It says, and through your offspring, all the nations in the world will be blessed. So God is making a promise to one man, which will extend to a whole group of people. And that group of people and the blessing they receive from God will extend and declare itself even into the whole world. It's a really beautiful and far reaching promise. And the word covenant is similar to the word vow. There is a, an intimacy and relationship that's being established in this moment. Um, one of a God who loves his people and a people who in the sight of the love of their God will return that love to him. Um, the Bible many times throughout the span of its story 
it talks about this relationship a bit like a bridegroom and a bride. Um, if you think of the joy um, in a building when a bride approaches the bridegroom, that joy belongs to the bride, but it spills out um, into the other people around and often even afterwards out into the street as cars toot their, toot their horns. That joy is a joy that passes from person to person because it is so expansive. Um, so God has called his people, Israel, not only to experience God's love, but also to declare it and display it and enact it. And um, as part of Israel's promise to, to remain with God and in his love, they promised to bring all areas of their life into that promise so that all areas of their life can declare to the nations around them what God is like. And that's what we find in the laws and the Ten Commandments. God says, you are going to be my people and you are going to declare what I am like. And I am faithful. So I want you to be faithful to each other. And I, God, I don't lie. So I need you to tell the truth to each other. And I, God, have accomplished all things. And you're not God, which means you're allowed to rest from your labours because really they're completed in me. And everything that Israel does is supposed to be a picture and an enactment of the relationship that they have with God so that God may be glorified in all the world. And the language in the Old Testament about God's love for his people is just heartwarming and beautiful. Um, they will be my delight and I will rejoice over them with singing. That is the relationship that has been on God's heart and has been his desire for his people from the beginning. And it leads us to the moment when Jeremiah has to speak to God's people because the relationship has gone wrong. So Jeremiah is filled with God's spirit and with God's voice. And he is told to go to God's people and say to them, you have to leave the city that God has given you. You will be broken up and you will be destroyed because in your hearts you have broken the relationship that God had entered into with you. Um, when we open the book of Jeremiah, the relationship and the, the language of, of a bride is still present. And God tells Jeremiah to go to his people and say, I remember the devotion that you had in your youth and how as a bride you loved me. But you have come and defiled my land and you have made my inheritance detestable. These are the words of God to his people, because Israel was supposed to be declaring the goodness of God through their actions and what they've actually done is behaved in a manner more awful than the other nations around them. They have spat um, in the face of the promises of God and his affection and publicly and boldly disregarded him um, and, and trashed his love. And because the heart of that relationship has been squandered and broken, God has to enact that it has to not just be of the heart but they have to see it around them and so he says you have you have turned away from me 
And now I will I will send you away from my promised city where my temple is, where my presence dwells. I will send you from my presence. You'll be banished. You'll be broken up because you have broken the loving covenant that I have made you. Um, they have turned from God in their hearts. Um, and so God is turning them away. And and you read Jeremiah and God is just heartbroken that he has to do this. He's like, don't you remember that I have saved you and I planted you here and I've made you promises? And they they don't listen. They don't care. They turn repeatedly from him. Um, so the story that we're looking at today is in Jeremiah 20. And Jeremiah has just um, God told him to take a pot and smash it in the middle of the temple courts as a picture and enactment of the fact that Israel will be smashed because they have smashed their intimacy with God. And because of this message and the fact that nobody wants to hear it and everybody else is saying to themselves, God doesn't see what we do. God doesn't mind. There will be peace in the land. Jeremiah, when he comes to speak, is rebuked and despised. And in this story, he's just spent the night um, in prison with his hands tied and he's released in the morning. And even when he's released from prison, he has to keep prophesying destruction. And it's hangs so heavy on him that after he's prophesied it, he turns to God to say how hard it is to stick out so much and how hard it is to bear um, preaching the rejection of God's people. He says this in verse eight. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I shall not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like fire like fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. The power of the spirit in Jeremiah's life has become so entwined in his own spirit and his own life that he, like, like Judah should have been doing, must speak and enact um, and declare what God is saying. And in this instance, God is filled with grief over the rejection of his people. And Jeremiah is similarly filled with grief. Um, the relationship is in turmoil. The city is in turmoil. Jeremiah is in turmoil. Now, when when I was given this passage to preach from. I don't know about you, but I already felt in turmoil. Um, I, I found it hard to pray. I, I felt the sadness that seems to walk through our streets um, and knock on our doors. And I felt our world in turmoil and, and, and grieving. And in this in this sadness and grief, I would kneel by my bed and try to pray. And um, as I prayed and prayed my earnest and somber prayers, I was very surprised by what I felt I heard 
Jesus saying to me? Now, as Christians, um, the the New Testament talks about the fact that we are allowed to to hear God's voice. Um, and I have I've tried to pursue that in my life and, and practice how to hear him. Um, and I do feel like I have something that Jesus wants to say to us, um, which, like Jeremiah, is slightly unexpected and um, and maybe against the grain of of our current feeling. But I think it reveals something of what God is like. So I was I was kneeling to pray and I was I was sad and I felt Jesus laugh with joy. He wasn't laughing at me. He was laughing with joy at something that was making him happy. And the joy sounded like the peal of wedding bells clanging loudly and clearly um, and with triumphant joy, so much joy. And I was kneeling by my bed in grief and I, I, I said in my spirit to God, I was like, what? This is not appropriate. Why are you joyful? I am, I am sad. Um, but when Jesus is joyful about something, the trick is, is to find out why and enter into it. And so I said to God, what is it? What is it that's making you joyful? Please, please tell me. And he said, he said, my church, she will see who she is. And I, I have found that while I have been sad in this season, the sadness has made me see joy more clearly. I see the colours in these fantastic sunsets we've been having. And I'm in awe of them that they should exist so gloriously. And I am in awe of every little bud that's springing from the trees. And I am in awe of every kindness. And I, I have found that the sorrow has, has helped me to see um, the things in my house that I have that were way more useful than I was expecting them to be. And I have noticed what I don't have in the house, which I really wish I did have. And there has been a clarity in my vision that this sadness has brought, um, which is helping me see things clearly. And I felt that Jesus's joy was that the church was going to see clearly who she is and what she has to offer the world. Um, so let, let's ask that question. What do we have as the church to be joyful about? And the answer is the next part of the story. So that same rebellion that, that Judah had against God, that caused God to be grieved and caused God to turn them out of their holy city and scatter them and break them, that, that same rejection that, that Jerusalem held against God. We have that. We have that in our hearts. We turn from God and despise his promises and prefer our own way. But Jesus, when he came to live on earth, he was a perfect enactment of God's heart toward us. Everything that he did and everything that he said declared the love of God 
even to the people who at the time were rejecting him. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took the rejection of God. So God was supposed to reject us and turn us away and spurn us because of our rebellion. And instead, Jesus was rejected and destroyed and ashamed and spurned. And his words on the cross should have been ours. They were, my Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? We were the ones that should have been forsaken. And Jesus took it on himself. And Jesus, for whom there is nothing but joy and love and intimacy with God and an invitation to be united with God for all time, that has become our inheritance when we believe in Jesus and trust that he has taken um, our rebellious hearts away and the rejection that we deserved. And instead, for free and by grace, we get life and life everlasting. And we can live on this earth with no fear of death because death has been overturned. And like the joy of the bride, seeing the bridegroom, we know that we will have Jesus and have his love, be seen and see him and have intimacy with him forever. And that, that is what the church is. The church is God's spirit and his voice dwelling with his people to make our lives a joy unto ourselves and a joy to the world. The picture that I had when I was praying was of a house with many pillars in it. And the pillars were all the things in our lives that that fill us with joy. And there's a security because of that joy. And I felt that this this period in history and this great grief was like a broomstick knocking against the pillars. All the things that we were secure in have come crumbling down around us. And one after the other, they have been proved false. But one pillar will remain standing. And the pillar that will remain will be the joy of the church in her Christ who has saved her once and for all time. It will be the joy of the church. It will be your joy in the knowledge there is nothing you can do that will make God love you more than he does. And there is nothing you can do that will make him love you less than he does. And that when you receive Jesus by faith, you receive all of him and he comes to dwell in your life and to fill it with his joy. When Jesus went up into heaven and promised his disciples the spirit, he said, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. The song of joy that will rise from the church will be the last song that is being sung because no one else will have anything else to sing about. And as the church is filled with the song of joy, the joy of the bride, everyone else in the world is gonna turn around and hear it and look 
And they're going to say, surely God was in this place and we didn't know. So don't feel like your life has become a little bit blander. Instead, let's pray that God would renew in us the joy of our salvation. I really pray that he does this for us, that the song of the church would fill the earth and let the earth know that Christ is king, that he has come for his bride, that he wants us and that he invites everybody to know him and know his love. I have two things left to say. One is that I'm not saying that we should force ourselves to be happy and I'm not belittling your grief. What I am saying is that as Christians, we have formidable certainty in the salvation of our God. We have eternal hope that we will live forever in heaven with him. We have secure confidence that Christ is restoring all things to himself. And in that truth, we may be joyful. Jerusalem and Israel and God's people were called to spend every area of their lives in declaration of God. And we, in the same way, can use our relationships and our work and our rest time and our attitudes and our speech and our actions to declare the praise of him who saved us. There is nothing in your life that cannot be used to declare the joy of God. Let him show you how to use it like that. Um, I'm going to end by reading us a verse from 1 Peter, which really just summarises what it is that I've said. Um, this is the truth that we know as the church and we proclaim. It's 1 Peter 3. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade and that's kept in heaven for you. We who are by faith shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this salvation, we greatly rejoice, though now for a little while we may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But though we have not seen him, we love him. And even though we don't see him now, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. I'm just going to pray for us. Holy God, I thank you that throughout the span of history, you have reached out a hand to your people. And even when we turn you away, you continue to hold out that hand. Would you help us to respond to you, God, to receive your love in the full measure that you would give it? And would you fill us with your spirit of joy that we would know your salvation and the truth of it in our lives and we would declare it as a song of praise?
throughout the world. Amen.